All right, well, good morning, Anthem Church. Good to be here. If you're new, uh, welcome, and if you're not new, uh, hi again. But like Stan was saying, uh, my name is Nick Serene. I get to be the college director here and also oversee the music. Uh, so normally I'm hiding behind a guitar. That's kind of my safe space. But uh, today I get to be hiding behind God's Word, uh, which is fun. So um, we're going to be in Genesis 38 this morning. So if you want, go ahead, grab your Bibles. We love having Bibles out here at Anthem. And turn to Genesis 38. And as you're going there, I want to tell you a little bit about two distinct things that stuck out in my mind when I was growing up. When I was going through elementary and middle school, there were two tragedies that happened in my world that began to inform and help me see what sort of world I lived in. And so 1999, I remember the Columbine shooting happening in a high school in Colorado. And just out of curiosity, like raise a hands, how many people in here remember the Columbine shooting Okay, so I remember where I was at when that took place, and I remember sitting in the library at school, and the teachers kind of explaining, okay, this thing that just happened is a serious matter, and we can see since then the number of shootings that have happened to really prove that what those teachers were saying at that time was true. And we can fast forward a couple years after that, and September 11th, everyone who was alive during that time, like, we remember where we were at during that I remember riding with my brother Jared to uh, school that morning and hanging out in his uh, Mercury Topaz, just a beater of a car, and I remember listening to the radio and hearing, okay, the World Trade Center was hit. Like, I was little, I had no idea what that really meant, but got to school a couple hours after that, the other Trade Center got hit, and from that, it began to help inform something in my mind. It helped me see that when one man goes his own way, when one man has evil motives, evil actions, that played out can create chaos for everyone else around them. And so we can look at current events even now and see that when one man goes his own way, it can create chaos in the world around him. And I was a history teacher for a year and had studied history in college, and I've read a lot of history books, which you guys are like, well, that's boring. And the truth is sometimes history books are boring, but we can look all throughout history And see that this is not just some problem of the 21st century. It's been happening over and over since the beginning. Where one man goes his own way and it creates chaos in the world around him because of it. And so we can see it in current events. We can see it in history books. But I think more often than not, where it really hits home for us is when we've experienced another man's evil. When they had gone their own way and it created chaos in our world. And maybe it was some comment that was made when you were in school growing up where someone said, man, like, you think you're funny, but you're so dumb. Or it was someone saying, you think you're cute, but you're not. And there were things that were said to you when you were growing up that if you believed those things, it spoke into what you thought about yourself and it has created chaos in your life ever since then if it hasn't been dealt with. And maybe it wasn't something that was said. Maybe it was something that was done and you've tried to lock that into the back of your mind and never let that come out because that thing has created so much chaos in your life that you never want to talk about it because it has screwed with your mind your whole life. And so we've experienced chaos personally as well. It's not just out there. It's within us. And even within like our church, we could say, oh yeah, you know, and we're all good Christian people here, so we've never created chaos in anyone else's world. And that's not true because we've gone our own way as well. 
and it's left an impact on other people. It's led to chaos in their world. I can think of leading out in a relationship years ago with a girl, and I thought, you know, this is heading in a good direction, when really I wasn't walking close with Jesus at all, and it created chaos in her world, and I'm a sinner too. I have that issue too. And so we all can relate to this thing where one person going their own way leads to chaos, whether it's a current event, whether it's a history book, whether it's in your own life something that you've experienced, or if you're humble enough, it's something that you have said or done as well. And so this morning as we walk through Genesis 38, we're going to see the story of one guy who goes his own route, does his own thing, and it creates chaos all around him because of it. So let's go ahead and pray, and we will get rolling. Dear God, we do uh, just thank you that we can be here in your word, in your house, Lord. I pray that we'd be able to see uh, just the, the words in this text, God, and, and may we be humble enough, Lord, to let it influence our understanding of you, our understanding of ourselves, and our understanding of life, God. I just pray over this congregation, and I pray over this time together. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, well, in order to understand the, the main characters in Genesis 38, we have to do what we've done quite a few times over the last few months, and that's where we kind of backpedal and look to where we came from. So if we opened up our Bibles to Genesis 1, we'd see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we, we learned that he created humanity, he created us to have dominion over the world. And so he said, humans, you guys need to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth for my glory. But if we move a few chapters ahead, we'll see in Genesis 3 that we messed that thing up because we wanted to go kind of our own route, do our own thing, and it created separation between holy God and now imperfect man. And it's created chaos in the world ever since. But we can also continue reading in Genesis and see that God is a God of grace. Because even though he floods the earth, he chooses to save a group of people on one little boat. And he says, yeah, your wickedness in this world is going to lead to your destruction. But because I love you, I'm going to rescue and save some. And so we see God's mission. We see that humanity messes it up. And then we also see God's reaction to that in grace. And so we've spent this time in Genesis going through looking at the people of God, looking at the people of Israel. And so that's why we've talked about Abraham and Sarah. That's why we've talked about Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, Jacob... And Rachel, and last week Luke preaching and introducing Joseph to us as well. And so, where we're going to be at in Genesis 38, though, is we're going to be looking at Judah. And Judah's the guy who, who sold his younger brother into slavery last week, which is never a good thing. Like, even if you can't stand your siblings and you're, you're frustrated with them all the time, like if you're a teenager in here and you're like, man, like I can't stand my younger brother, they're the worst, like, Never get in the spot where you try to sell them into slavery because that just, it's not a good route to go. And that's where Judah starts. That's our knowledge of him from the beginning. And then we see the sort of world that he has around him as he lives life out in that same sort of perspective. And so let's go ahead and get started in Genesis 38, starting in verse 1. And I'll just warn you, we're not going to make it too far before stopping. And it says, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside. The first phrase that we can't ignore in the first part of verse 1 is that Judah turned aside. Even though he had the opportunity to, to go back to his other brothers and say, hey, what I did with the whole Joseph thing, 
That was wrong. He had the opportunity to do that, but he doesn't. He turns aside. He had the opportunity to go follow up with his dad and say, you won't believe what I just did. I had a stupid decision, and now my younger brother, your son, is in Egypt. Dad, I messed up. But he didn't do that. He turns aside. And so he abandons his faith family and his community, and he walks into enemy territory. He isolates himself from them, and he pursues his own selfish desires. Just like Proverbs talks about what happens to men when they isolate themselves. They pursue their own selfish desire. And so we see Judah doing that, going his own way, which begins to turn his world into chaos. And in a weird way, this reminds me of a time when I had told um, some family back home or whatever, it was like, I need to make this trip from Denver, Colorado to Waterloo, Iowa through the night. I was helping my friend LJ move, and he was in a U-Haul, and I was driving his Chrysler 300 behind him, which is like the nicest car that I had driven at that point. And I'm following him on this 12-hour trip, and everything's going great, even though I kind of went my own route and said, you know, Mom, I don't need to, to sleep much this night, and I'll just drive straight through the night. Things went really well for 11 hours. I said it was a 12-hour trip, though, right? And so we get into hour number 11 on Highway 20 in Iowa, and uh, I fall asleep at the wheel, 7 in the morning, something like that. And I'm, I wake up, and I'm driving 70 miles an hour in the grass median. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, this is not how this drive was supposed to go. And so grab the steering wheel, make it back on the interstate, and the rest of the trip goes all right. Even though, honestly, I still was sleepy, and I, yeah, shouldn't have done that. But the rest of the trip went fine. But in that moment, that could have gone very differently. I didn't make it back on the interstate because I'm a good driver. I made it back on the interstate because God is gracious. And so with Judah, he's in a situation, though, where things don't go that way. Judah continues to walk in sin, continues to go his own way, and that creates chaos in his world. And so let's continue reading on in the second part of verse 1 and see what sort of things unfold. And so Judah turned aside to a certain Adalamite, which was someone from Adalam, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And so the first questionable thing that Judah does after turning aside from his family is that he goes to Adalam, which was a royal city of the Canaanite people. And Judah knew who the Canaanite people were. He knew that they were not the people of God. And he therefore likely knew that they were going to lead him astray. And so when he gets into Adalam, he does not, you know, find a sturdy local church to become a part of. He doesn't find wise counsel around him. Instead, he finds this guy named Hira, whose name means noble. And so he pretty much puts himself next to this guy who is an evil, wealthy leader in an evil community. And so, like, just look at the trajectory he's on. It's like he's putting himself in 12th century B.C. Vegas... And he's getting his hotel room, he's got his poker chips, he's got his right-hand man by his side who's kind of explaining, you know, this is is the city, man, this is how you live it up. And they go to the casino and they're just, you know, spending a little bit of money. And then they both see this woman that's walking and their eyes track and then Judah says, she's beautiful. And he just thinks lust, adventure, next thing you know, I mean, he has three kids with the woman Pretty much like it's his job suddenly to just find this woman and I'm just going to pursue selfish desires. 
And so we see Judah hitching up with a woman for what seems to be her looks and nothing else. And rather than spending time around her to look for red flags, rather than spending time around wise counsel to say, what do you think about this? He does his own thing, goes his own way, and it creates issues. And how did he get here? Because he put himself in an environment to fail. He put himself in a bad space. And so with his car spinning out of control, racing into oncoming traffic, we see that Judah's life continues to snowball in a mess because he's steered from God's mission. He's taken an off-ramp that has led to chaos. And we can read that and, and try to act like that only happens then at that time, but we can look in our world today and be like, yeah, there's a lot of times where guys will just see someone and they'll say, oh, wow, she's beautiful, and they won't think about their actions and they'll lead poorly and it'll lead to brokenness and pain. And ultimately, when, when, when marriages are based on something that's just lust-driven, I mean, those often end in divorce because neither person is in it for God's mission, but just for what they want to get out of it. And so we see that Judah's situation is continuing to lead him into more and more sin. And so let's continue in verse 6. It only gets weirder. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go unto your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So we get like into this next chunk of the text, and we're like, what? What does Judah do? He, he seems to play out kind of the, the route that he did with his wife. He just sees someone beautiful and says, hey, Ur, here's a wife for you. But apparently Ur was so wicked that God takes him from earth with early judgment. And then we look ahead two verses, and, and Onan, the second son, who's supposed to fulfill this right, this uh, marital expectation at that time in the Old Testament that God had said that men needed to do for their brothers to carry on the family name. And all he does is it takes sex, but not the responsibility that comes with it. And so Onan's life is cut short as well. And then Sheila, the third-born son, who also was by law required to be Tamar's husband, he's set aside and prevented from being with Tamar because Judah's looking at Tamar and thinking that she's the issue. And so from this, we see in the text that Judah doesn't only lead himself poorly, but he leads everyone around him poorly as well. And simply put, I mean, Judah cultivates a home life where two out of the three sons are taken from earth early because of their wickedness. And they, those kids, they didn't arrive there just by mistake. And so how did this unfold for Ur, Onan, and Shelah, and even for Tamar? It's because Judah chose not to follow after God's mission. Judah chose not to look for a godly wife. 
Judah chose not to have a healthy plan for his kids' future. He chose not to have hard conversations with them either. And so what Judah should have done is he should have sat down with his children and said, hey, this is where I messed up when I was growing up when I was your age. And he should have sat down with Ur and said, this is what a godly lifestyle looks like, son. And this is how you ought to live. But he doesn't do that, and it leads to his early death. And Tamar is left without a husband. And he could have got to Onan, his second-born son, and said, you know what? This, this whole issue that just happened with your brother dying, that's my fault. And he could have said, you know what you need to do with Tamar? You need to be sensitive with her and loving and thoughtful in that relationship because she just lost her husband. But Judah avoids that conversation. Onan plays that out in an abusive way. And his life is cut short as well. Judah also could have sat down with Tamar and said, this, this stuff that's happened, it's my fault. But he didn't. He didn't own that. And even though he could have done what he could have done to, to raise Sheila to be a godly son, he doesn't. And he avoids the conversation. He avoids going there, and he avoids taking the responsibility. And so Judah pushes Tamar to the curb, says, you need to go back home to where you're from. And he's left with one son left and a messed up life. And it didn't happen by chance or absence or accident. It happened because Judah chose to create and forge the environment that his kids lived in. Judah forged the life of those kids that they were to lead based off of his example. And I think it's something that we can relate to because a lot of our dads in here did the same thing. They forged an environment that did not lead to health for our future, but confusion, bad decisions, and brokenness. And so for some of you, maybe you, maybe you had not in the picture dad who was a man that decided to sleep with your mom and then he abandoned the scene. He turned, went aside, did his own thing and it created chaos not only for your mom but for you and your siblings and you're still wrestling with it today and that's the pace that dad set. And for others in here, maybe it wasn't that version of dad but maybe it was lazy TV dad where you know, he brought home enough money to get by but really, I mean, he was pretty disengaged and he didn't serve your mom, didn't love her well, didn't lead her well. And beer and basketball and the boys are more important than mom's heart and more important than raising you. And maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was I had provide and protect dad, made a lot of money, got me what I needed financially, sent me off to college, protected me to make sure that I wouldn't get hurt by unhealthy people, but he never pursued my heart. He never said, this is what it looks like to lead a godly life. He didn't sit you down and help you see what it looks like to be a godly young woman or a godly young man. And he punted on having that conversation. And because of that, it's created chaos in your world. And we can relate to Judah's story because that's the sort of dads that most of us in here had. Seven, eight out of ten of us probably have dads that did not provide for us well, protect us well, and pursue our hearts well. And because of that, our lives are affected here today. 
And so when we look at Judah's situation, we can't really say, oh, well, that's just a, a story from an old book and it doesn't relate to me. Like, no, this is a real story that led to chaos in a world then and it leads to chaos in our world now. And we can't deny that. And of course, that sort of thing would happen in this story to the sons of Judah because that's the sort of dad that Judah was. When dads falter and fail in setting a good example in the home, it has an impact. And statistically, I mean, children follow the path that dad goes on. When it comes to faith, that's the path that kids tend to follow. And so for a train wreck to be surrounding Judah and his family, it only made sense. And, and we've seen it in Hollywood. We've seen it in our own lives. We've seen it in Judah's story. And we know that it's true. And ultimately, for Ur and Onan... It led to their early death because of it. And sure, they sinned on their own, and that was their decisions. But the person who was supposed to set a pace for them did not set a good one. Let's pick up in verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adalamite, who was the guy that led him into a bad situation before. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enah, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. And so he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. And so we see that Judah just continues to steer further off of track. He puts his daughter-in-law in an oppressive place where she hasn't been cared for, hasn't been led well. And she makes this decision to put herself on the very path that she knew that her father-in-law was going to go on so that she'd be able to have a child. And so we see twice-widowed Tamar in a tough spot, but chooses to put herself in a sinful situation. Because she has this insecurity of, I don't have a husband. She has this insecurity of, I don't have kids. Like, in that culture at that time, if you were a woman and did not have either of those, that was an issue and you were looked down upon. And so she's been cooped up in mom and dad's house because Judah kicked her to the curb. And so she makes this decision that Judah then follows through with because, well, he had just lost his wife and he had decided a while back that he wanted to always turn his own way and pursue sex when he could get it and sleeps with who he perceives as a prostitute and ends up being his own 
and daughter-in-law. And so the end result is Judah ends up sleeping with Tamar. He gives his body over to the attractive non-Christian girl he had picked out for his own evil sons. And his lack of self-control in a time of desperation leads to sin and infidelity, both on his end as well as Tamar. And so for both of them, in a place of desperation, it leads to more brokenness and more chaos. Let's read on into verse 20. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adalamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And so as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet ring and the cord and the staff. Then Judah looked at them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not know her again. Judah's sin was found out. Tamar comes to the door, and the second that she does that, she says, oh, by the way, like I have video surveillance showing that you were the man that did this. And it shows how messed up and skewed Judah's mind was at this point because he was trying to execute someone for prostitution when he was the very one who slept with that prostitute. And so the way that Judah lives and the way that he pursues his own desires and turns aside from God's mission for his life to be fruitful and multiply for God's glory, we see Judah just over and over living for his own selfish desires. And so, again, sin and wreckage happening around him only made sense because that's the sort of life that he had chose to live years before. And so when men go their own way like Judah had done, chaos without fail is always born. And guys, even though we probably don't have prostitution in our background, and we don't have this level of hypocrisy to where we're trying to put people to death, we do have a life where we've turned aside and we've gone our own way with a lot of different things. And it's led to chaos in other people's lives. And so for some of the men in here, I believe that you have led your wife poorly and it's had an impact on not only her, but it's had an impact on your kids. And on and on, it's created chaos, not only in your world, but in theirs as well. And if you're saying, no, like, I'm not married, that doesn't relate to me. I mean, for many others in here, like we've, given ourselves over to far too many guys, far too many girls, and we've shared our most intimate thing with people because we turned aside, went our own way in a moment of desperation, 
and has created chaos and emotional pain and scars that we've tried to put to the back of our mind, but we know that it has wrecked us and that it has likely wrecked other people as well. And others, I, we've spent hours in front of TVs, hours in front of computer monitors and watched porn because we wanted to turn aside and do our own thing. Maybe been masturbating for the last five decades, and we think it's fine, but it's not, because eventually, sin will find us out. Sin found Judah out. Sin corrupted his life and everything around him because he went his own way, and it ruined everything. And so we can't look at this text and say, this has nothing to do with us, because it's talking about prostitution and hypocrisy to the level of trying to execute people. Like, this does have something to do with us. Because we, we've made decisions, we've gone our own way, and it has hurt people and made people be in places where they feel alone and trapped and abused and overlooked and forgotten. And it's because we're selfish people. And how did we get there just like Judah? Whether subtly or whether in desperation with one big decision, we got there too, just like Judah. And eventually, either now or later, sin will find us out as well. For Ur and for Onan, that sin found them out immediately. For Judah, it was a little further down the road. But eventually, even he gets to a spot where he's saying, she is more righteous than I. Because he sees the mess that he's made. And so by the time we get to the end of this story, like, we can ask, like, why is Genesis 38 in here? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? Why this story about an irresponsible, lust-driven man? There's two reasons, I think. The first reason is that we're just like Judah. And so we need to see this because sin in Judah's life represents sin in our life. We are Judah. And the second reason, which is a, a far more beautiful thing in my mind, is that Judah points to Jesus. If we opened up Matthew 1 right now and read through the family tree of Christ, we'd see that Jesus is great, 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 something like that. Grandpa is one of the sons that Judah and Tamar have. And so we can see that we have a God of grace that brings beauty from brokenness and beauty from the ashes. And so as we look at this story, we can see and understand that we can find hope too. Even if we've turned aside from God's plan, God's mission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth for my glory, even if we've turned aside from that, and it's created chaos and messes and shame and guilt and frustration, we also have the option to turn back to God. We have the ability to admit that we're wrong and acknowledge that we have gone our own route and that we need some, something, someone beyond us to fix what's going on. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus talking here, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so for some of us in here, we need to make that decision. We need to say, I have gone my own way. I am a sinner. I need hope because I have chaos all around me. And your step for this morning is admitting, like, I need forgiveness. I need someone to fix this. And it's admitting the sin and committing your life to Christ. Because only Christ is the way, the truth, and life. No one goes to the Father except through him. And for the rest of us in here, we can't say like, well, glad you approached that group of people. I'm good to go, Nick, because I've already made that commitment. We can't do that because we know that there's things in here that we need to hear too. So I think there's some direction change that needs to happen. For a lot of the men in here, I think that there is opportunity for you to love your wife and love your kids better. And maybe a step for you is turning off the TV and engaging in maybe what is even awkward conversation. Like, well, I've never tried to pursue my child's heart before, and I've never tried to encourage them, and I've never tried to love them and get down at their level and say, hey, what can I do to support you, son? What can I do to help you, daughter? And so for the men in here, that is your call, I think, from this text, because we see what sort of life happens when we don't do that. And, and ladies, I don't think there's a spot in here where it's like, well, there's no, no story for you to, to run with, no application for you. What if Judah would have had a godly wife that was supporting him and encouraging him and loving him and challenging him in a respectful way? She could have been helping that situation and lovingly and respectfully calling him out when he was being an idiot, right? Like, that wouldn't have hurt the situation, that would have helped, right? Maybe that's the step that some of the ladies in here need to make. How can I support and encourage and be there for my husband in a way that's going to help him flourish, in a way that's going to help him lead our family better? And if you're in here and you're like, well, I'm not married, so this doesn't apply to me, there's stuff for us too. I'm right there with you. Maybe there's things in your past or things in your present that you've been doing behind closed doors that you need to confess. You've turned aside and you've tried to live this secret life of lust and you need to confess that sin. Or maybe it wasn't something that you did but something that was done to you and you need to begin to deal with some of that stuff in your past that has created chaos in your life right now. And even though that's really hard and it's scary and it doesn't seem like you should be the one who has to proactively do that, I think we can look at this text and see that it's important that we admit when there's chaos in our world and we give that to Jesus because Jesus can bring beauty from brokenness. And I think for all of us, there's also this call in the text for us to have order in our life. For us to be able to know God's mission, maybe even like literally write it out on your fridge. Say, this is God's mission for my life. Help more people know, love, and obey Jesus. And you need to begin to put things on your schedule that reflect that mission so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you're turning aside and going your own way and leading yourself and others around you into sin. And so we can look 
at 9-11, we can look at Judah, we can look at our own lives and situations in our life, and we can see that when man goes his own way, it does lead to chaos. But isn't it good that we serve a God who is gracious and loving and forgiving, who has a mission that's far better than brokenness for our life? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we just thank you uh, again that we can be in here putting ourselves under your word, God. Uh, I pray that we'd have the ability to be humble. Would your spirit do a work in our hearts, God, so that we'd be humble. And that we'd just stop and assess our hearts and assess our life where we're at right now, God, and maybe even looking back into some things in our past, God. And I pray that we'd be able to let your spirit, through conviction, just change us and put us in a place, God, where we're willing to admit our wrongs. And God, would you just forgive me for going my own way so many times, for turning aside and leading other people poorly. But God, I do thank you for the grace that you have for the times that I've done that. And so, Lord, I just pray over Anthem Church. I pray over... Uh, this group of people, as they go home for Thanksgiving, God. And I pray that they'd continue to, to just work through what your word had for us today, God. In Jesus' good name, amen.